This is the fifth program in this NLP online training. Before we started, actually before we finished the fourth program, we asked you to take the representational system preference test to see if your primary representational system was visual, auditory or kinesthetic. If you haven't done that, please go back and do that now. So let's go through page 17 and 18 of your workbook and see exactly what that means. What does that really mean? So let's look at number one on page 17. It says I make important decisions based on gut feelings. So of course that would be kinesthetic. If you made decisions based on what sounds better, then that would be auditory. And if it was made on what looks best to you, then it would be visual. If you had to do a precise review and study all the issues, then that would be auditory digital. So during an argument, I'm most likely to be influenced by the other person's tone of voice, which is auditory. Whether or not I can see the other person's point of view is visual, the logic of the other person's argument is auditory digital, and whether or not I'm in touch with the other person's true feelings is kinesthetic. I most easily communicate with what's going on with me by the way I dress and look, that's visual. The feelings that I share, kinesthetic. The words that I use to choose, auditory digital. And my tone of voice would be auditory. Now, auditory digital simply means a more dissociated way of thinking. And it's also unspecified. So in some of the information that I give you, I may use the word unspecified which means it's not specific to a re representational system. It's more left brain. So let's look at number four. It's easiest for me to find the ideal volume. That would be auditory. It's easiest for me to select the most intellectually relevant point. That would be auditory digital. The comfortable furniture would be kinesthetic and the rich, attractive color combinations would be visual. And in number five, I'm attuned to the sounds, which would be auditory. I'm adept at making sense of new facts and data, auditory digital. I'm sensitive to the way that clothes feel on my body, kinesthetic. And I have a strong response to colors, visual. So what you'll start to notice is that different people use certain words to describe their experiences. On page 19 is a list of predicates. Predicates are words that essentially refer to a particular representational system. On the left are the visual predicates. In the middle are the auditory predicates, then the kinesthetic, and then on the right, the unspecified or auditory digital. Those are the four columns across the top. Visual people tend to memorize by seeing pictures. They're less distracted by noise and they often have trouble remembering. And they're very bored by long verbal instructions during long verbal instructions, their mind starts to wander. But they're very interested in how the program looks. Typically, auditory people are easily distracted by noise. They can repeat things back to you easily and learn by listening. They like music and they like to talk on the phone. The tone of voice and the words that they use can be very important. Kinesthetic people often talk very slowly and quite breathy. They respond to physical rewards and touching and they memorize by doing or walking through something. They'll be interested in how a program feels if it gives them the right gut feeling. And finally, unspecified or auditory digital, they spend a fair amount of time talking to themselves. 
they memorize by steps and procedures and sequences. And they'll want to know that the program makes sense to them. They can also often exhibit characteristics of other representational systems. I remember doing some training with a business group and we were talking about predicates and how you can use these in a phone conversation. And there was a guy who he called and he's like, hello. And the person says, you know, I've told you not to call me before. I don't want to talk to people. I can't stand talking to you people. And the salesperson decided that this person was kinesthetic. So he slowed his voice right down and he said, I know how you feel. We haven't really given you anything you can touch. Nothing you can grasp or get a hold of. In fact, the information seems like it's slipping through your fingers. And the person at the other end of the phone suddenly went, yes, oh my God, you're the first person who's ever actually communicated with me. And this guy actually ended up buying. So words are only 7%, yet what we're going to do here is learn how to communicate using words. We're going to learn how to communicate using words that are included in different representational systems. And you'll probably like the words that are in the representational system that you, that you use. So if you're visual, you'd probably like to take a look at something and see how it's going to be. If you're auditory, you'd like to hear the right sounds. And if you're kinesthetic, you sort of just like to get a feel for it. So we're going to talk about how you use these words that include different representational systems. This may surprise you, but there are a lot of people out there in the world who are very different from you. And they're doing different things to you. When we think about this, we will use some statistics from the United States. Now in the United States, 40% of people are visual, 40% are kinesthetic, and 20% are auditory and auditory digital. And people can change from moment to moment and week to week and year to year as different things happen in their lives. So different people utilize different representational systems from time to time. So just because you test it in a particular way today doesn't mean that you'll test that way tomorrow. And it would be really unfortunate if you came into one of our trainings and said, I'm a kinesthetic or I'm a visual. What would be a better way to look at it is saying, I'm primarily using visual reps right now, or I'm primarily using kinesthetic reps right now. And what's more important is the use of the words in order to gain rapport. You use the predicates to gain rapport with people right from the beginning. So you match voice tonality and then you start matching the predicates. So within about five minutes, you could easily know someone's representational system and then you can feed it back to them. So if you were speaking to me on the phone and I went, hello, hello, how are you? What, who's there? Hello. Then I'm probably visual. If I pick up the phone and go, hey, how are you? I'm probably kinesthetic. And if I say, hey, how are you? I'm probably auditory. Listening to those things is really important when you're on the phone. And I encourage you to do that as you speak on the phone to people. Now, what's interesting is there's other little idiosyncrasies for these rep systems. What we figured out was that people who quickly grouped words with lots of interruptions 
like R are usually visual or auditory. And this is on the speech patterns at the bottom of page 19. And people who are kinesthetic or unspecified have quite deliberate phrasing and long complicated sentences. The processing pattern for someone who's visual or auditory might be quick with a minimum of detail and they actually might let you know unconsciously when they understand by changing the subject. Whereas someone who is kinesthetic will want more detail or might give more detail. And they may not give you an indication of understanding unless you ask them whether they understand. Now, imagine you're talking to a visual person on the phone and you say, hi, how's it going? I want you to take a look at something and I'm just going to ask to show it to you. And of course you're on the phone, but nevertheless, you can still use visual predicates. So you can ask them to show it to them, even though really you're going to talk to them. And this will increase their ability to understand. So in NLP, our belief is that the descriptions that we use to describe what's going on in our head are not actually metaphorical descriptions. They're actually real and accurate descriptions. If someone you're talking to says, I don't see what you're saying, the truth is they just don't see it. So what does that mean? What it means is they've been unable to make a picture in their head based on the amount of information you've given them. If someone says to you, what you're saying to me doesn't sound right, it may well mean that the tone of your voice is not appropriate for them to be able to make a decision. And if someone says, I don't feel right about this particular issue, then that means you haven't said the right things that would cause them to have the kind of feeling inside themselves that they wish to have while making this decision. And then if someone says this doesn't make sense, what they're telling you is you haven't given them enough logical, reasonable, rational, digital information about what they're deciding on. So one of the things that Virginia Satir used to do when she did couples counselling is she would do translation. So she would actually translate from one representational system to another. And if you look at the list of predicates, you can see that it's quite easy to translate these. So when people would go into Virginia Satir's office, she'd do the translation for them. And the funny part about it is in the early days of NLP, there used to be tapes of different therapists. So different therapists would tape their sessions. That's how we actually learnt about the different predicates. And so you might want to say to a client, do you see what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you feel what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? And in these different ways, you can communicate at a completely different level. So over the next few weeks, what I want you to do is practice the different kinds of predicates. Notice the ones that you use and notice the ones that other people use as they unconsciously talk. And when I say unconsciously talk, they're not deliberately choosing their words. They're just using words that are part of the programs and part of these predicates that they've chosen. Predicate phrases. So a visual person might use beyond a shadow of a doubt or a horse of a different color or in view of or make a scene or in the mind's eye. An auditory person might use give me your ear or hidden message or hold your tongue or pay attention. The kinesthetic person might use all washed up, get a handle on this or hang in there. So here are some additional phrases that you can also use when matching and mirroring someone's predicates. 
Now remember that a visual person is going to make a decision based on whether this decision looks right. So the best approach to assist a visual person in their decision making is to say to that person, if I can show you an attractive way in which you could, and then you can give them a potential benefit of their values, then you'd at least want to look at it, wouldn't you? If this looks good, we'll go ahead and focus on getting all the paperwork done. To an auditory person, you would say, if I could tell you a way in which you could, and then list their potential benefit or values, you'd at least want to hear about it, wouldn't you? And if this sounds good to you, we'll go ahead and discuss how to set up an account with us. And then for a kinesthetic person, we might say, if I could help you get a hold of it in a concrete way, and then list the potential benefit and values, you would at least want to get a feel for it, wouldn't you? And if it feels right for you, then we can go ahead and get started. And then finally to the AD person or unspecified person would be if I can show you something, if I could give you something that makes sense, that is something that we both think will work, that is something you'd like to proceed with, isn't it? And so an auditory digital person can begin to talk to them in unspecified and each person is going to make decisions differently. Each one of these people is going to make a decision in their own way. So using predicate phrases is going to make a real difference in terms of how a person accepts what you're speaking about. It will increase the chances for rapport and it will likely increase the results that you get. So for a moment, we want to stir these into a pot of rapport and begin to utilize them. It's useful to be able to notice whether a person just from their body's physiology, it's useful to be able to notice if they're visual, auditory or kinesthetic. And up until this point, we've talked about predicate phrases and rapport and how you use that kind of information over the phone. If you're in person, you can actually look across at the person and see, you may be able to look and see whether the person is visual, auditory, kinesthetic or auditory digital. And there are some ways to notice that. So this will give you a quicker way to notice and perhaps match them in an easier way. So let's look at page 21. Someone who's visual will often stand or sit with their hands or bodies erect with their eyes up. They breathe in the top of their chest. As I mentioned before, they may sit forward in their chair. A visual person will tend to be more organized, more neat and more well-groomed. They're often thin and wiry, and they memorize by seeing pictures. They're not particularly distracted by noise, and they have trouble remembering instructions because their mind may wander. A visual person will be interested in how your program looks. Appearances are important to them. Someone who's auditory will often move their eyes sideways, They'll breathe from the middle of their chest. They typically talk to themselves and they're quite easily distracted by noise. Some of them even move their lips when they talk to themselves or repeat things back to you. They learn by listening. They usually like music and talking on the phone. They memorize by steps and procedures and sequences. The auditory person likes to be told how they're doing they respond to a certain tone of voice and a certain set of words. So they'll be interested in what you have to say about your program. 
Someone who's kinesthetic will typically be breathing from the bottom of their lungs, so you'll see their stomach go in and out when they breathe. I mentioned earlier that they're the belly breathers. They often move and talk quite slowly. They respond to physical rewards and they buy into touching, so they may stand closer to someone than, say, a visual person. They memorize by doing or walking through something. So they'll do a walkthrough or they'll do some kind of process and they'll be interested in your program if it feels right or if you can give them something that they can grasp. Auditory digital people will spend a fair amount of time talking to themselves. In fact, I remember one auditory digital person that I've worked with who actually repeated every instruction back to themselves. Whatever instruction that you gave them, they would actually go down into auditory digital with their eyes and move their eyes into AD, then they would actually think about everything that was said before they could give anything back to you. So this person takes a lot of time to think and they'll want to know if your program makes sense. The auditory digital person can also exhibit some characteristics of the other major representational systems. With that in mind, I want to chat to you for just a moment about your own intonation patterns before we move on to eye patterns because I think it's important to look at that. So let's look at page 22. Page 22. Now the arrows indicate the tone of voice and there's three different ways that we can communicate in the English language. When you come to the practitioner training we'll actually do an exercise on this. An exercise where you can learn how to do voice matching at this point. Voice matching is extremely powerful and we'll go through all of that in the practitioner training so that it's very easy for you to pick up. If you want to practice it this week, then go ahead, feel free to do it. So let's talk about the three major constructions that we have in terms of tonality in the English language. The first type of tonality is the questioning tonality. The questioning tonality, and I'm going to use just the word word so that there's no sentence, okay? So word, word, word. So the questioning tonality would go word, 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 that would be a question. Now a statement would be word, word, word. A command would be more like word, word, word. So you move your voice down and it becomes a little lower and a little louder. Now the most powerful form of syntax in the English language is a questioning syntax and a command tonality. When you are listening, notice the tone of voice that is used and think about what they're really saying. So in sales, a lot of people use the questioning tonality. And they go, so does that sound like something you'd like to do? And it almost sounds uncertain. It creates a level of uncertainty. Notice how different it sounds when you say, so that sounds like something you want to do, doesn't it? It's more of a command tonality. And by using more of a command tonality, you're actually asking for the sale or you're asking for the behavior to be done. So using tonality is very important in terms of producing results. Let's move on to page 23. This is one of the more fun parts of NLP because here's the thing. We're doing eye patterns and people move their eyes in all kinds of different directions, don't they? And have you ever watched people when you're talking to them 
and they move their eyes up and down and side to side and all over the place. Have you ever wondered why they do that and why you do that? Well, there's actually a reason and the reason is they're actually doing things inside their brain. Now, this particular eye pattern chart is for a normally organized person. So someone who is normally organized, let's be clear, it doesn't mean that there's people who are abnormal. <laughs> there's normally organized and there's reverse organized. So roughly 80% of the people in Australia are organized this way. In my experience of looking at eye patterns over the years, nearly everyone is normally organized and there are a few exceptions and we'll talk about that in a minute. So let's talk about eye patterns. If you've watched people for a while and you've been really focused when we were doing sensory acuity, you may have noticed the different ways that people's eyes move. Sometimes people looked up, sometimes they looked down, sometimes they looked left or right. They may have moved according to what they were saying or according to what they were feeling. So they might move their eyes up as you look at someone. Or the person might have said that doesn't sound right and they moved their eyes horizontally to the right. And someone might have said, well, you know, I just don't get a feeling for that. And they may have moved their eyes downwards to the left as you look at them. So these are eye patterns and they're quite useful because we can get an idea of what's going on inside someone's head. So let's go to page 23. Now the left hand side of the chart is constructed and the right hand side of the chart is recalled. So at the top it's visual construct. So as you look at the person, it's on the left and visual recall on the right as you look at the person. Now what's really handy to make it easier for you to remember this chart is I would remember that it's in alphabetical order. So when you're looking at a person, construct is always on the left and recall is always on the right, unless the person is reversed organized, in which case it's totally reversed. So someone who is normally organized, it's highly related to right-handedness. So usually someone who's right-handed will be normally organized. Obviously there are exceptions to every rule. As you look at someone who's making sounds inside their head or remembering sounds or creating sounds, their eyes are going to be moving horizontally. So on the left side, if they're moving to the left side, then they're constructing an auditory process. And on the right side, they'll be doing auditory recall. So they're remembering something that was auditory. Now at the bottom on the left hand side is kinesthetic and on the right hand side is auditory digital. Kinesthetic is feelings and internal feelings and auditory digital is the art of self-talk. Now what's interesting is that I think you know enough of NLP right now that you're beginning to start seeing some things. And you're beginning to see some things that perhaps if you hadn't seen them or you didn't notice, you're noticing them now. And I think many of you were surprised to discover that you could actually hear certain tones of voice and begin to match them. And you could actually get into rapport with someone. So as we're going on, we're going to look at the eye pattern chart. And this is extremely useful for understanding what a person is doing inside their own mind. For example, if a person looks up to visual as you talk to them and they look up to visual recall, you may say to them, do you see what I mean? 
If someone you're talking to moves their eyes horizontally, you could say, does that sound right? And if they move their eyes down to the left, you could say, do you get a feel for what I'm saying? And if they move their eyes down to the right, as you look at them, you could say, well, does that all make sense? So having learned how to watch the eyes, you can then begin to match the predicates that we've just learnt to the eye patterns. And that will give you a broader, more flexible range of behaviour. And as you discover your greater and greater flexibility, you'll find that your capability of using these predicates with new sensory awareness that you've learned, paying attention to things like skin colour and tone, the symmetry of the face, facial muscles, watching the breathing, the rate, the location, the pupils, the eye focus, the pupil dilation, listening to the tone of voice, noticing the predicates. Now you can simply stir this into the pot. You add this in and you pay attention to their eye patterns. Paying attention to their eye patterns and noticing exactly what they're doing. You can begin to notice that a person moves their eyes in certain directions and you can wonder what they're doing inside their head. For a while, you can even ask people, did you just make a picture in your head? And they'll say, yeah, how did you know? And in fact, as you begin to look at this, of course, people move their eyes very quickly. Some people move their eyes very slowly. Some people actually close their eyes when they move their eyes. I've seen people who actually close their eyes and move them in a certain way. If the person closes their eyes, it doesn't mean you can't see them easily because you can still look at the eyeballs underneath the eyelids. And in fact, I know an NLP practitioner who can read eye patterns from the back of their heads. No, I'm just joking. I'm not sure you can do that yet. However, you can calibrate on the micro muscle movements in the back of the head. If you actually watch very closely, you'll see minute little movements that would indicate the eyes were moving in a certain direction. So as you begin to pay attention to eye patterns, notice what eye patterns are happening when someone's constructing something or recalling something in terms of bringing up a memory. Now, there's one other thing. When someone's bringing up a memory or recalling a memory that's easy to remember, they often defocus their eyes. And if they defocus their eyes, that doesn't mean they're not moving to a certain place. It means the memory is really easy to remember. It's really right out in front. Now, the first thing I think we want to do is to discover whether a person is normally organized or reverse organized. Someone who's normally organized will have the pattern chart and page 23. A person who is reversed organized will have the exact mirror image of this chart. So you just hold up the page and look through it, through the light. And that's the exact way that eye patterns will be organized. A quick way to check whether someone is reverse or normally organized is to look for the placement of their watch if they have one on. Someone who is normally organized will usually wear their watch on their left hand. It's not a definite, however, it is often the case. Normal organization generally means right-handed. Now, it's also possible for someone to be normally organized and left-handed, and it's also possible for someone to be reverse organized and right-handed. Usually reverse organized right-handed people are people who were brought up in a school system where it wasn't okay for them to be left-handed, and so they were taught to write right-handed, even though naturally they were left-handed. The quickest way to find out whether a person is normally organized or reverse organized is to ask them some questions. And 
these questions are set out on page 24 and this will make them really easy to use. So there's a number of questions here and you can make up the questions as long as the questions have the same intent. So you don't necessarily need to ask these questions as long as the questions you ask are constructed in a similar way with the same intent. Let's talk about that for a moment. If you make up a question and it's not exactly the same as the questions that are here, you want to make sure that it requires them to access something that's rather way back in their memory as opposed to something that's rather recent. If you get something that's way back, it's going to be a lot tougher for them to remember it. So then they're going to have to move their eyes in a certain direction. If you say to a person, what color is your room right now? And they don't have to move their eyes up to visual recall because it's easy for them to remember. So you're not going to get a good idea about whether they're normally or reverse organized. If they have to remember something that's way back in the past, then it's more likely that they're going to need to move their eyes to access that part of their brain to pull up that memory. And that's why the questions are set up this way. They're really good questions. However, they're by no means the only questions. So let's just go down the list. You might want to grab your eye patterns and your questions and ask some people to move their eyes, uh, to watch their eyes move in certain directions. Visually remembered is seeing images from memory or recalling things that you've seen before. And the question is, what was the color of the room you grew up in? Right? What was the color? So the other question you could ask is, what was the color of the first car you owned? And typically, if the person is normally organized, their eyes should move up to the right as you're looking at them. Okay, visual construction. These are images of things people have never seen before. So they're making it up in their head. They're constructing the image. So the question is, what would your room, or if you used your car, what would your car look like if the blue car was now pink? Or if it was blue with purple polka dots? Yeah, so it's something really a bit crazy, so they have to actually construct it. Next is auditory. Okay, so auditory recall. So that's where you remember sounds or voices that you've heard before. And one of the things I like to ask is, when you were growing up, did you have a favorite pet? What was the sound of your pet's voice? Or can you remember the sound of your mother's voice? So their eyes here should move horizontally to the right. Auditory constructed, that's making up sounds you've never heard before. What would I sound like if I had Donald Duck's voice? That's auditory construct. And if they're normally organized, their eyes should move horizontally to the left. And then auditory digital, this is where your eyes go when you're talking to yourself, internal dialogue. So can you recite the national anthem to yourself? Yeah, can you recite the national anthem to yourself? Or can you say your seven times tables to yourself? These are useful in producing auditory digital where the eyes will move downwards and to the right. Then there's kinesthetic. And generally you look in this direction when you're accessing your feelings. So you could say, do you have a favorite beach? Or what does it feel like to walk on the beach without shoes on? Or what does it feel like to touch a wet rug? These are all questions that are going to elicit a certain response in your clients. And we're hoping that their eyes will move in that direction. So I think one of the best things to do over the next few days is take these pages and ask your friends some questions and see what happens with their eye patterns. Some people will move their eyes very, very quickly and very minutely. So you need to pay attention. 
So it's often a good idea to have the person you're asking the questions hold the eye patterns chart in front of their chest so that you don't have to look away from them to see which way their eyes went because the, the movements are very small and can happen very quickly. The other time that this can be a problem, particularly if you're working with Indigenous people, is because people who have a don't look to talk rule. So they don't actually look at you while you're talking to them and they'll avert their eyes from you. And sometimes you can get this eye patterns chart a little wrong in these people because they're moving their eyes to look away rather than moving their eyes to access a particular part of their brain. So sometimes there's an initial movement of the eyes and then a secondary movement of the eyes. And this may be where someone's looking away from you and then accessing that part of their brain. This is by no means a faultless tool. However, the more you use it, the more you will realize how much information people give away with their eyes. That's a very useful way to use that in business. And when you come to the in-room training, we'll talk a little bit more about other uses in business. One of the things that I've done is I've used this very successfully in negotiation. And I want to tell you a little bit about a story. At one point, I was hired by a company that was in the Northern Territory. And I was hired by them to assist them to get a $5 million loan. And I got a call from the head of the business who said that the bank wasn't going to look at their loan application for six months to a year from the time that they called me. They were worried because they didn't think they'd survive in their business for another six months. They needed it and they needed the loan right then and there because they were in the process of building a resort. Uh, so jumped on a plane, went up and saw them and started talking to the people who were they were wanting to get a loan from. And I do quite a lot of negotiation for people. And whenever I think about negotiation, I always like to have as many people on my team as what's on the team of the group that we're negotiating with. So if there's three people on their team, I want three people on my team, etc., etc. Because in order to be able to specifically match and mirror people and to bring rapport to the whole group, you need to have one person for each person. So we organized a meeting and there was three in their team and I got three in my team. And we went in and we matched and mirrored. And then part of the way through, we switched about with who we were matching and mirroring. So we had set up some diagrams and we knew who we were doing and at what time we'd change. At the end of it, the guy that was wanting the loan said to me, I don't think I've ever seen that loan guy so excited about giving someone a loan. And I said, well, you know, that's just how it goes. Sometimes they want to do what you want. What you need to do is, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -on -two or whatever it is, be very careful to look across at the person and notice their eye patterns. Notice the predicates. And we'll show you eye patterns and predicates as we move into strategies a little bit later in these programs. But use rapport, use it in groups, use it with individuals because it will make a really big difference. Now, here's a couple of things I just want to define before we finish eye patterns. I just want to define the lead representational system and the primary representational system. 
and these are simply definitions. The lead representational system and the primary representational system. Okay, so the lead representational system relates to eye patterns. It's how does the client lead or where do they go to access most of their information? It's how they access their world internally. The primary representational system is comprised of the predicates and their physiology. And we talked about the physiology for each type of person. So the predicates and physiology are how they represent their internal world to the outside world. How they represent the internal world to the outside world. The lead representational system is eye patterns and then their primary representational system is their predicates and physiology. It's probably a great idea to write that down somewhere because it's on the test. I think it's an important thing to remember. I want you to really have fun with rapport. I think people ought to be able to get into rapport quite easily and I think you should practice it. I think the more you practice something, the more it becomes second nature to you. It means that you're automatically going to go into rapport with people when you meet them. So when you meet them, sit down with them, match them, mirror them, go into rapport, match their predicates, their physiology, their voice, match their posture, their breathing, their blinking, match all of it, totally match it, because one day you might need it. And remember, if you get any resistance, it's a sign of lack of rapport. There's simply inadequate rapport, in which case you go back and match and mirror the person more. You can also match and mirror their model of the world. You can match their key phrases, their predicates. Match and mirror memories. You already have rapport with the unconscious mind. You don't need any more of this, but you certainly can get rapport with the client's unconscious mind when you need it. And you may need it one day. Next up is number six.